Welcome to The How of Car Washing, the podcast that helps the car wash owner, operator, and manager address the challenges and opportunities associated with building and running automated car washes in today's fast-paced environment. And now, here are your hosts, David Begin and Henry Lopez. Hi, and welcome to this episode of The How of Car Washing. This is your host, David Begin. I've got a guest today I'm excited to talk about. His name is Mike Finger. He's the CEO of Exus Oasis. And uh, he's an expert that helps business owners, what he calls learn to leave their business, which is going to be a great topic. I'm uh, really interested in what he has to talk about there. Um, He's building a community of small business owners that are serious about building businesses that they can sell when they want to sell and the way they want to sell. So uh, Mike's got a a master's degree in in, uh, administration from Hamlin University. Uh, He's started two management and consulting companies in the Twin Cities. And after 15 years of leading and growing the companies to about 50 employees, he sold the business and he's purchased and sold other businesses since then. So he's, a, he's certainly an entrepreneur. He's got a lot of passion for growth and uh, it's going to be an exciting talk to talk to him about what do you have to do as a business owner to think about selling your business. Mike, thanks so much for joining me today. I appreciate it. David, my pleasure to be here. Yeah, so you you're a car washer as well. So we you know we 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 focus on car washing. So tell me about your journey through the car wash business and when you what made you get into it? What was it like running it? And then what you had to do to think about selling it? Sure, sure, absolutely. I'll uh, I'll fast forward a little bit through the early stages of my career because my my car wash time was. Uh, essentially a third act for me. I had already gone through the process of starting, building, and then selling a couple other businesses. And, and honestly, as that, as that knowledge um, started to build up, I found myself wondering if it had been a, a goofy, fluky mistake or if I had actually learned something having gone through that experience a couple times. And so I started looking for businesses that I could buy to look to apply, you know, certain specific, uh, a certain specific approach to, and the car wash um, opportunity presented itself, and I ended up uh, purchasing two separate car washes, and then subsequently sold both of them uh, within f- four years of purchase. So that uh, that all kind of fit in with the plan, but it was a. Um, I, I I got there through that. Uh, that question of, do I know what I think I know? Okay, good, good. So tell us what type of car washes you purchased. Uh, two separate ones. I had one in a small uh, small town here located in western Wisconsin. It was a single bay uh, automatic and a single bay manual. Uh, the other was in a slightly larger uh, town here in the, in, in the region, and that was also a single bay automatic uh, three uh, manual bays and that one also had an attached laundromat. Okay, good, good. So I'm kind of curious, what were your expectations before you got into it and how was that different than after you got into it? It, uh, boy, it's a great question and I'm, I'm, they won't see this, but I'm smiling because I, uh, I learned a lot. Uh, David, going into this, I, I'm not a wrench turner. That's never been my experience. And on the other end, I find myself much more comfortable and much more competent turning a wrench. And why is that? Well, you, I think you quickly discover in the car wash industry that, uh, 
if you're willing to get a little greasy and put 15 minutes of labor in on something, you can save a three-hour service uh, service trip from a service provider. And that, uh, that has a fairly substantial um, bottom line impact. So one of the things for me was, was, was getting hands-on right away. I expected to get hands-on. Um, but, you know, one day you're crawling up in the attic and the next day you're laying on the floor looking in the holding tank and everything in between. And uh, so I, I, I had the opportunity to get full exposure to the business, to the, to the car wash industry. Um, I, uh, I learned a lot. I enjoyed a lot of it. Um, given the, that we're located in western Wisconsin, um, there were moments of, of great discomfort on a February morning when I'm wondering if the in-floor heat has gone out or, uh, it, you know, that it's, a, it's an outside-inside kind of environment. But uh, overall, a great experience for me. I loved the, the fact that I wasn't just sitting in a chair anymore. I was able to get up and around and um, interact not just with the customers, but the equipment and uh, the business as a whole. So a great experience for me overall. Good. No, that's terrific. Yeah, that's terrific. A lot of people, and I don't think it's this way anymore, but I think people don't really have an, people outside the industry really don't have an appreciation for the level of effort it takes to maintain car washes. I think, especially when people are buying in by automatics or self-serve car washes, initially early on, there was this thought that this was a, considered a passive income stream sure. for business owners. And then when they get into it, they realize it's everything but a passive income stream. Uh, because there is a lot of effort that's got to be put in to make sure that things are kept up and kept up well, um, e even in self-serves and in-bay automatics. I mean, those those take as much work as anything else. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, good, good. Well, I want to talk to you so about this new company you have called Exos Oasis. So how did, what made you decide to get into this consulting area of helping business owners get their, set up their business for sale? Sure. Well, let's let's rewind just a minute on 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 my my journey. I started a business in the mid '90s. Um, started a second. Those were uh, uh, consulting support businesses. Grew both those operations and found myself uh, with 50 employees and uh, terribly ready to be doing something else. I had come to the conclusion my employees were trying to kill me. It wasn't intentional on their part, but it seemed like the inev inevitable path we were on. And then I experienced something that I have since learned is a very common experience for the small business owner, and that is I found out I didn't have a business I could sell. Um, I can remember sitting at my desk, holding my head in my hands, having hung up on the phone call from the business broker I had talked to, who had just given me five or six reasons why he wasn't interested in the listing and why no one else would be. Huh. And uh, it, uh, again, it, it, it's a very common experience I've since learned. But for me, what that meant is a terribly difficult three years of transition for those businesses to turn them into something that were potentially attractive to a buyer. Uh, that was way harder work than building the business. That was much harder work than growing the business. And getting to the end of that journey and being able to make a successful sale, it was a, 
it was nothing short of a miracle do-over for me, right? It's that uh, you're playing ball as a kid and nobody can agree on the call and you all look at each other and say, let's do that one over. That's what this was. I found myself uh, no longer a business owner having made a successful exit. Uh, did a couple things in the interim, including spent a, a year as a business broker helping others buy and sell. Loved the space, loved learning. But to get back to your original question, why did I end up starting Exit Oasis? As a business broker, I found myself and I found other brokers being very comfortable with the understanding that they were going to actively be able to engage about 10% of the business owners they dealt with that the expectation was that 80 to 90% of small business owners were going to be unsellable, that those, those owners were going to own businesses that the broker couldn't list. And of course, as a good broker, what you want to do is you want to get past that unsellable business as quickly as you can and find a business that you can actually sell. I find I found myself most intrigued by those sellable or those unsellable businesses. Um, how did they get that way? Why did the owner? Why didn't the owner do something different? And what could the owner do today to change the business to create a, a situation that they could successfully exit? So for me, it was born out of that frustration of. Uh, these huge expectations within the industry that most businesses aren't sellable and won't be. Boy, that's a, that's a huge statistic there that only about 10% of the businesses are actually sellable. What are some of the characteristics now in the car wash industry? I think we're pretty lucky, Mike, because we, we've got businesses that are sellable. And although we, it's important for us to develop our businesses to be somewhat self-sustaining and self-managing, um, you know, I, I sit here, I'm talking to you, I'm still washing cars, but it's not something I physically have to do. So, I, you know, I actually hire employees and I hire machinery and we've got systems in place that pretty much do all that. What are some of the characteristics of businesses? Are there certain types of businesses that you think are not sellable or it just that the owner didn't set it up to be sellable? Are all businesses so do you have the, uh, the un unlimited optimism that all businesses are, are sellable? Oh, absolutely not. No. Um, the, uh, again, I, I'm going to throw some, some general industry averages at you. Um, I, I mentioned earlier that, uh, you know, if you talk to a business broker, they're going to tell you that they're, you know, that nine out of 10 approximately of the prospects that they deal with, the small business prospects, aren't potential customers the common accepted number in the industry is that only 20 or, or only about 20% of businesses of small businesses will ever sell successfully. Okay. And so, um, absolutely. I, I don't believe that all businesses can be sellable, but, um, there's a there's a there's a complexity factor, David, in this industry. And, and it, it's kind of a, um, it's kind of a dirty little secret that the, this industry makes its money by mastering the complexity of a transaction, right? Selling a business is a complex transaction. There's attorneys involved and bankers involved and all sorts of rules and regulations that impact how that transaction can take place. Uh, and M&A advisors, brokers, uh, those that work professionally in the industry, they make their money by mastering that complexity. And that's, 
That's great. That's understandable. That's needed. The problem is, is that nobody, nobody makes money translating that complexity into simplicity for the business owner. No, there's, there's really not a lot of resources out there where a business owner can go and understand some of the basics. And I'll give you a simple analogy. If, if you go to a doctor, David, and you ask that doctor without, without them knowing anything about you, you say, doc, what do I have to do to live longer? What are they going to say? They're going to tell you to eat right and exercise, right? right. You go to 100 doctors, 98% of them are going to say that. What became very clear to me is there was no eat right and exercise for selling a business. The complexities there, there's a whole bunch of people that will get in line to have you pay them $300 an hour to master the complexity, that will have you pay them 10% of your transaction to master the complexity. But what about the simple things that you need to do as a business owner to change that business and make a dramatic impact on your ability to sell it someday. So are all businesses sellable? No. Can businesses change to be more sellable by doing some basic things? Absolutely, I believe that's the case. Yeah, so when, when I go to the business broker and say, I wanna sell my business, and he says, well, your business isn't really sellable, the next question the business owner asks is, what, what's now what? And that's where Exos Oasis comes into to play to say, okay, I'm being told I can't sell my business. If this business is sellable, what do I need to do to get it there? Or if I'm being proactive, I might come to you early and say, I'm thinking about selling my businesses five years from now or 10 years from now. What do I need to do to get it set up for sale? Absolutely. Yep. Okay. Good, yeah. good. Yeah. So let me ask you, out of those 90% that a broker would say would be unsellable, what percentage do you think is, is salvageable where it could be sellable? Well, I'm, I'm generally an optimist. I think there, uh, that most businesses, uh, you know, if the, if the skill set of there is there, if the intent is there, can make the changes they need to. Now, again, we might be talking about some dramatic changes and a fair amount of time. Uh, but I think that if it's a, it's a serious goal, uh, that it's something the small business owner can achieve. Again, the, the, the conflicts are, between goals are really surprising. You can find surveys, David, that say that 70% of small business owners intend to use the proceeds of the sale of their business to fund their retirement. Right. 20% of small business owners will ever sell their business, right? I mean, the gap in expectations is massive. And so, uh, yeah, I think that... Uh, I think there's a way to make those changes to make a business sellable. Absolutely. Yeah. So why, why do you think business owners, when they go into business, they don't think about the end game? They're, they're, not, they're not thinking about where they want to go with this and what their exit strategy is. Why, why is that not typically considered? Well, we're too busy, right? I mean, you're a small business owner. I've been a small business owner. I'm a small business owner again. I have a thousand things, a thousand fires burning on my desk right now that are important to other people. They're gonna knock on my door, they're gonna call in, but David, nobody's gonna call you and say, hey David, what's the long game for you? Right. What, what's, what's your exit going to be? How is this gonna work out well for you? So it never gets brought to it, it has to be self-generated, and for most of us, it's conceptually so far in the future that it falls into that we'll get to it someday space. 
The problem is that most of us as small business owners don't understand what the likeliest journey is for us when it comes to our exit. I mean, people sell businesses for human reasons. It's very rare that an exit is a function of a perfectly executed strategic plan, right? An exit is usually a function of my wife needs to move across country because her parents are ill. And so I'm selling the business and I'm moving, right? I mean, it's those kinds of things that pop up where we suddenly find ourselves and, you know, we can come up with a laundry list of seven or, you know, of 70 or 80 bad things that can cause us to need to sell our business. But how about when you trip across a new opportunity that's better than the existing business that you have? How about, you know, any of a number of changes that can occur for us? And we don't think about those as small business owners, like we said, because our desks are on fire with so many other things. Again, it's understandable. Uh, but the negative impact of not thinking about it is is financially catastrophic to small business owners. No, that's a great point. That's a super point. So the, the worst case scenario of business that's not sellable, is it typically the, the solo entrepreneur who's literally doing a job or he's, he's, he's performing a function and there's, you know, if he goes away, the whole business goes away. Is that typically the worst case scenario when it comes to that? Because I, I do believe, and I want to talk to you about your car wash sale experience because you yeah. you have some information on that. But um, because, because I think we're relatively fortunate in the industry we're at because we do have a business that in general is sellable um, if, if, it's, if it's operated properly, that's set up properly. But what's an example of some businesses where it's just, there's just no hope for it? Well, I'll tell you what, David, I'm going to push back on your assumption a little bit, and I'll do it. You know the industry better than I do. I'm only going to speak to my personal experience. When I landed on car washes as potential targets, I looked at dozens within driving distance of, of my home, and most of them were unbuyable. Unbuyable. But, right? Most of them, I, would, I, I had no chance to cash flow. Most of them, I had no opportunity to transition and change to create a business that I could in turn sell. And so uh, it does, it is a car wash business different? It is. Um, are there some opportunities there? There are, but both the car washes that I owned were in a hole the day after they were built because they were overbuilt in markets that were not going to support the cost that was incurred to build them in the first place. So are those businesses unsellable? Well, obviously they were both sellable, one of them because I purchased it from the owner, the other one because I got it after the bank took it back from the previous owner. So yes, they were sellable, but not for a fraction of what the owners wanted or needed from the transaction. Okay. So that it's a, um, for me, I try to, I, I, again, the, the goal at Exit Oasis is simplicity in this process. And so we look at three key questions about a business. Um, we ask, are your results desirable? And I, and I mean that in as straightforward of a way I can. If, if I learned about your business, David, would I sit here and say, that's a business I'd like to own? Is it desirable? Do you create financial results? Does it create a life for you that somebody else wants to live? So are your results desirable? Are your results duplicatable? Can a buyer duplicate your results? 
what determines that? Well, as you alluded to, if you walk out the door and the results walk out the door with you, you don't have results that a buyer can duplicate. Um, things that make, a, make results easier to duplicate, do you have a team? Do you have systems, right? Those things that mechanize and make it run. Again, that's, I think, one of the advantages of the car wash business is that there's a high percentage of what happens at the shop that's a function of mechanics, right? It's a function of the, the built-in system. The last question is, can you document your results? So uh, are they desirable? Can I duplicate them? And can you document them? If your business, if you can answer yes to those three questions, you've got a much better chance of having a sellable business. Most owners can't answer yes to all of those questions. Wow. Wow. This episode of the How of Car Washing is sponsored by Diamond Shine. Diamond Shine is the premier car wash chemical manufacturer dedicated to maximizing the profitability and performance of car washes. Efficiently producing clean, dry, and shiny cars nationwide, Diamond Shine helps operators create a top-notch wash experience and satisfied repeat customers. From branding and marketing to on-site problem solving, Diamond Shine's team delivers results. Visit diamondshine.com today to learn more from the industry experts. So when I'm gonna, I mean, I wanna clarify a thing. When you said a business is unbuyable, is because the business was doing so poorly, it wasn't financially worth buying or they weren't selling. Well, again, hypothetically, every business is buyable. I'm talking about the normal. I, again, part of what I try to do to simplify this process is I chop off that 5% on both ends, right? How do most businesses get purchased? They get purchased be, by me being attracted to your business, me taking the financial results of your business, going to my banker, putting my 20% down, and being able to finance the rest of the business. There's two basic needs that a buyer have has. They need to be able to... Uh, pay for their living expenses, and they need to be able to service the debt on the business. If your results don't allow that to happen, you don't have a viable business. Now, could it be bought? Sure. Maybe you're going to have that magical unicorn uh, cash buyer roll in out of the clouds and, and write you a big check. That, but it happens so rarely, David, it's just, it's not even worth talking about for the average small business owner. Right. So I, I think about there, there's a, there's an eBay automatic self-serve car wash for sale in the mountains here in Colorado. And the ad it's, it, it's in one of those mountain resort towns, but the asking price is so ridiculous that, that nobody can make the numbers work. Is that what you mean by an unbuyable business? That's an unbuyable business. Most of the listings that you see uh, in businesses in general are unbuyable when it comes to a, to your average buyer. Okay. Okay. And it really means that the guy buying it can't take that debt and service the debt and make money at that price. Yeah, I mean, what's the magic? Ma Again, we we see these articles out there. We and mo and we 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 should clarify, right? Most of the content that gets written and shared in this space is written for businesses larger than mine. They're written for businesses that are uh, five million plus. Why? Because that's who that advisor wants to attract. That's who they want to speak to. 
They're not trying to speak to, speak to the small business owner, but the small business owner it so outnumbers that larger business. 90%, 95% of businesses in the U.S. fall in that small business category, but we end up having to learn about this topic from some mammoth uh, sale or purchase that Facebook makes. Well, they, they did 12 times earnings, so man, I am just gonna make a killing when I sell this little car wash. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Okay, I, I see exactly what you mean there. That makes a lot of sense. So what, let, let's go down your list there, because I, I like the three things. What, what are some characteristics of a business that's desirable? What, what do you look for, and how, how would you give me a green flag if my business was desirable? Yeah, two key elements there. Um, the things that we talk about small business owners doing if they want to create desirability, we talk about increasing your seller's discretionary earnings. And seller's discretionary earnings, just the industry technical term for the owner's cash flow. What do you financially benefit by owning this business? So if you want nothing, nothing increases the sellability of your business like increasing your seller's discretionary earnings. That's the number that the, bank, uh, that the banker looks at, that your buyer takes to their banker, and they both sit down to, together and say, yeah, you can buy this business because the cash flows there. Okay. Uh, the other one is improving your job. And what, what that means uh, is just that. If you've got to work 18-hour days, seven days a week uh, to to kick off a little bit of cash flow from this business. But, uh, David, the basics are, if your job sucks, why would somebody want to pay you to do it? Right? I, I mean, it, it's that simple. And, and what, what we forget sometimes as, as sellers, as owners, is we forget what the journey is like for a buyer. That buyer's looking at 25 different businesses. You just got done explaining to them that you're at the car wash every single day seven hours a day, right? I mean, you've got this laundry list of things while the car wash down the road has two part-time employees. That means that the owner only has to show up three times a week. Their job is better than yours, right? I mean, now does that mean they won't buy the other? No, but it's a factor. It's one of the key factors. So those are the two key elements we see in desirability when it comes to a business. When we, um, when we talk about being able to duplicate a business or duplicate results in a business, uh, that's where we talk about building a team and building systems. Uh, building a team, obviously, that's going to depend on the size of your business. For some, that means 15 employees and a, you know, uh, a good benefits plan for them and good morale and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, for, for my small car wash, it meant an independent contractor who came and cleaned a couple times a week and two or three service vendors that I established a good relationship with so that it wasn't about me all the time. It was about uh, the team that was there to support the structure. And then again, building systems, um, just, just that, right? Uh, uh, how do you shut down the shop? How do you open it in the morning? What do you do when this error message occurs? It's that knowledge that you and I have in our heads as business owners that walks out the door when we walk out the door and creates an inability for those results to be duplicated. It's about capturing those results, writing them down, and getting it, uh, getting it so it can be passed on to someone else, whether that be an employee or the new owner. 
And then the other thing we talk about is uh, documentation, right? Can you document your results? And that I think has a, a unique need in the car wash industry. Okay, good. Let's uh, talk about that because this is this is a big topic that I I, I like to bang the drum on. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a uh, um, I want to eat my cake and I want to have it later as well, right? It's uh, we 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 run a cash based business and uh, sometimes days are good and there you are. And uh, uh, do you record all your profits? Do you record? Does all the money hit the books? And um, you know, we can talk about the ethics of that. We can talk about the morality of that. Uh, and I think that there's uh, obviously incredibly strong arguments to be made there. But we're talking about selling a business. And here's the reality. It's just plain stupid not to record your re revenue when it comes to selling your business. And I'll give you a simple example. Most businesses have values based on a multiple of earnings. So that dollar that I put in my pocket would have resulted in $4, right? When in fact, all that putting that dollar in my pocket saved me was the 25 cents of taxes. So I just changed 25 cents for $4 of profit when I sell the business. It just doesn't make sense. But I, I, could, I could tell you 17 stories. I, 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 when I was working as a broker, I went to, I went to talk to a, a bar owner. And he and his wife brought me down to their basement office. And I'm not kidding, their desk was covered with stacks of cash. Just these unbanded un stacks of ones and fives. And they snickered and laughed and smiled and wink as they said, well, we've never shown a profit on our taxes, but you know what I mean, right? No, well, isn't that cute and clever, but guess what? You don't get to sell your business because there's not a bank in the world that's gonna look at a buyer who wants to buy this business and say, yeah, we'll give you the money. So that's really true and, and people, um, you know, I've talked to other business brokers who send people away, say, you gotta clean up your, we gotta take three years and get your books cleaned up. And it's that very short term approach of saying, you know, I'm gonna spend $10,000 and buy a vehicle and I'm gonna do it out of the business, but, the long term, it's, it's, it's a short term solution versus a long term view on your business. And I've had people try to sell their car. I've heard stories of car wash owners trying to sell their car wash, trying to explain to the, to the potential buyer what the real revenue number is versus what the tax returns say. And, and it's, for me, it's very hard to believe that people actually think that people are going to buy businesses based on what the owner says they're making versus what the tax returns say. Uh, David, the, the first car wash I bought, I was dealing with the owner and uh, I made an offer of $700,000 based on the financials, the tax returns he had provided. Wrote the offer, started my due diligence process. And I can still remember sitting at the little restaurant. He shows up with his little banker box and he looks at me and he says, now, before we get started, I wanted to let you know that the tax returns that I gave you before the offer are not the real tax returns. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, I kid you not. And again, you know, people think, well, how could that happen? I simply looked at him. My head slowly fell to hit the table. And I said, see you later. Right. I, I mean, from that point on, how could I possibly hope? 
that anything he said was going to be honest, right? Right. Um, it, 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 and it always amazes me because I've had at least a half dozen people do what you just talked about, David. Give me the conversation, the wink and the nudge. And, and here's what always strikes me about that. You just told me, you just admitted that you're willing to lie to the IRS that brings legal consequences to table far in excess of anything I can do if you lie to me. Why would I believe that you would lie to the IRS, but not to me, right? I mean, what is it that, and it amazes me, but it's, it's a reality. Right, right. Yeah, it just, it absolutely amazes me when people do that. And I, there was a car wash being sold here in my hometown of Colorado Springs, and it was an in-bay automatic self-serve. And he gave me the price and I said, well, can I see the financials? And the guy said, well, there are no financials. <laughs> I said, okay. And about six months later, I got a call. Oh, we've, we've got financials now. <laughs> and, and I don't know why people think that most business people are going to buy off on something like that. Uh, when when the financials are so shaky that a there is no financials for a while b there is there all of a sudden there is financials and c you know there's two sets of tax returns there's only one set of tax returns honestly yeah. I mean what, what the guy's doing but there there's only one set and so yeah it's it is very short sighted and and uh, I had a business broker here in town tell me you know never use your 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 business checking account is your personal checking account. You shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't, should never do that because it puts, it puts them in a very bad situation. It puts them at a major disadvantage, especially when they're thinking about selling their business. You know, it, not, not only does it put them at legal risk, but the good news with technology now is in a many car washes, it's very easy to find out, you know, it's easy to find out the numbers, even in the self-serve and in-bay automatic worlds. There's, there's enough tracking technology right now where it's easy to find out what people make. And so, um, you know. Have you, have you ever seen that data finance a deal, David? I'm, I'm curious because I, I, I completely understand what you're saying. But if those numbers, if that data doesn't reconcile to the financials, have you seen a bank finance a deal based on outside data? No, no. I mean, no. But if you're, I've heard of people doing things like uh, trying to verify financials or verify sure. revenue. Um, some things that, that tax entities will do, whether they're state tax entities, local, or even the IRS, in self-service and in-bay automatics is they check water bills. Right. So they'll, they'll, they'll look at utility costs and water bills and sort of be able to extrapolate based on those type of things. But it's, it's easier for me now to be able to prove with point-of-sale systems. I'll give an example in the express business. My yep. point-of-sale systems are very, you know, it's hard to get in there and monkey with the point of sale system. So my revenues are pretty, it's easier for me to prove that my revenues are my revenues and then compare that against my cash deposits or yep. credit deposits versus my tax return. So I've got three pieces of data that I can pull together to show the integrity of, of our books. Yep, absolutely. Well, let me take it even one step further. So I, I mentioned I made this offer, found the fake tax returns. Um, I made a secondary offer, which was, I don't even remember, it, but it was substantially lower than my original offer. But I did it based on my ability to go straight to the bank and get the data. And what I discovered when I went straight to the bank to get the data is that the former owner had been depositing checks, personal checks, into his account, booking it as revenue in order to 
pay his bills, but also make the numbers look better than they were. So again, that second deal fell through. And that, that as I mentioned earlier, is the, is the property I ended up buying six months later uh, from the bank after they took it back in a sheriff's sale. Oh, wow. wow. I, I mean, just, again, I understand the temptation of holding a wad of cash in my hand. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about common sense as it relates to you wanting to maximize the sale of your business. And like I said, it's a quarter versus three or four dollars. That's what you're trading. Right. And uh, at, uh, obviously it's unethical. Obviously it's immoral. But if for no other reason, do it because it's stupid not to. Yeah. It, it just makes good business sense to not do those things. Absolutely. So it makes good sense. Good. So as you're starting to think about selling your business, who is you're starting to put your team together? What type of people should be on that advisory team that you're building? I'm going to give you two answers to that question. Um, there's an industry answer that's going to apply to businesses that aren't small, right? There, there's, there's, if if you're if you're approaching, you know, if you're if you're doing five ten million dollars in revenue uh, and you're approaching the sale. You're going to sign up the attorney and the accountant and the broker and the M&A advisor. You're probably talking to your banker and your financial planner and right. I mean, you're, you're putting, you're covering all your bases on that. The problem is all of them are going to take a cut. And if you're a small business owner, the odds are that you're going to like with most things that you've done running your business, you're going to be trying to do as many of those things yourself as you can. And so that's where the challenge comes in for the small business owner when it comes to a sale. But again, if you're able to approach that business broker with these things we've talked about being done, if you're desirable and documented and now your broker sees a sellable business, as you know, most brokers are going to work on a percentage fee, right? So they're going to take your little deal. They're going to take 10% of it. But if they think they can sell your business, you're going to start to get that advice and guidance that's going to help you through the process. If your business isn't sellable, you're, you're in a tough place, right? Because, yeah, you can, you can hire all those other people, but not one of those industries works for less than hundreds of dollars an hour. Right. And so it's a, it's a challenge for that small business owner. Again, again, I... Uh, it, it's why I clarify because the, the traditional answer to that question is to give you the, the technicals on M&A advisors and brokers and all that stuff, but it just doesn't work for most small business owners. Right, right. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, the, the business transaction deal is not large enough. And even if it's a sellable business, sometimes it's not interesting enough for a broker to take, take a look at because there's not, a, not enough money in for them. What, one of the things I see small business owners do that I think is a mistake, um, I, let's, put it a, a, let's put it a positive spin on it, an opportunity they don't take advantage of is to have active ongoing conversations with these folks. Um, if I were a small business owner, considering the sale of my business five years from now, I would set up meetings with three or four different brokers today. Let them come. Let them talk about your business. Let them evaluate it. Learn from them. Learn for free. They won't mind. And you're going to establish a base of knowledge that's going to serve you exceptionally well for that process going forward. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. That's a great idea. Now, when you start thinking about business brokers, I'll ask you, should I get an industry-specific broker? Because I know that like in the car wash industry, there's 
brokers that specifically, you know, that, that are specific in the car wash industry, or should I look at a generic business broker? Uh, it's a good question. I think it depends on how specialized the industry is. I've seen certain industries, chiropractic, you know, I mean, some of these industries where the knowledge, the licensing is very specific, where you see specialty brokers develop a deep um, uh, list of people who buy specifically in that industry. Um, I think on the car wash side, I think it probably, again, depends on your car wash. If you've got a small uh, small town car wash, you're unlikely to get swept up by the big boys, right? So I, I sold the business, the small car wash I did using a local realtor instead of a broker. Why did I do that? Because I, I, I assumed, and it turned out to be a wrong assumption, but I assumed that my buyer was going to be within 10 miles of that business of that business mm -hmm. and that the broker I worked with knew more people within that 10 miles than any business broker I was going to bring to the table. Interesting. So you, you used a realtor, is that correct? I did. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. I, I, I prepped it for sale. I did the things that I did and then I used the, I used the realtor instead of business broker. Yeah. Okay. That's an interesting idea. Um, so like, let's talk, let's, Kind of wrap up with this topic of once the business owner sales. I, I one thing I've I've gotten in touch with I think more than anything else is when you start thinking about quitting your business and either retiring or doing something else. There's a lot of emotional issues that go around that, especially for the business owner. They're mostly rugged individualists. They're people that that are identified by their business and they're making a change. What are some of the things to think about as a business owner when you're making that transition from an emotional perspective and an identity perspective? Because we, we can get the mechanics down, but like you said, it's, it, you're selling for human reasons. And how do you come out on the back end of that uh, happy, healthy, and wise? I think that's toughest for the owner who views the sale as them being done, right? Uh, they've got... Uh, they just turned 97. They're selling the business. That uh, there's there's a lot of issues that come into play. Um, you've probably heard the saying: uh, "If you are what you do, what are you when you don't?" Right. As it relates to that transition, um, having something that you are drawn to is a is a big issue. There, I tend to view that whole process very differently. However, given how my personal journey played out, and I think. Uh, is it may be true for a number in the in the car wash industry as well. I have bought and sold several businesses after I sold my first set of businesses, right? For me, there is nothing. There's no feeling I love more than sitting in my car after the close with the check in my hand, knowing that I get to do whatever I want next right? Well, if it's that next business to buy, if it's that next opportunity, for me, it's, a, it's an incredibly satisfying close the book, the book, put it on the shelf moment. That's how I encourage the people I deal with. I, I, just, had a, I just had a client that sold her business uh, last week and she experienced a ton of fear before that. What's going to happen? Am I going to be able to make a living? How am I going to make this happen? 
And I, I, I let her talk those things through. It's, it's, those are very real feelings and emotions. But at the end of the day, when we started to talk about the opportunities that opened up for her because of this event, the smile that got on her face and the, just the joy of being able to consider the opportunities that were out there were spectacular. So again, it depends on the owner. If this has been, it was harder for me in the, with the first business because I had done that for 15 years. I had built it from scratch. Um, depends on the owner and the situation, but uh, yeah, I would not, not for a second underestimate the emotional part of that journey. Yeah, no, I think it's something you've got to think about and get some people to kind of help guide you through that. Because I think if you've been in that business a long time, and maybe it was your only business you've owned, and now you're getting out and you're thinking about retiring or you don't know what's next, I think it can be challenging. But I like your mindset that you're thinking about that, uh, you know, you like the buy and sell businesses, you like to buy businesses, build them up, get them ready, and then possibly sell them. And so you're not, you know, it's, it's probably not let's say you're not as emotionally attached to the business as maybe some other people are and your identity isn't wrapped up in that particular business. And I think those are probably pretty healthy mindsets to have. Uh, like I said, certainly different with the last two than it was with the first two. Um, sure. Uh, but again, you know, we talk about human reasons. If you had asked me six months before I reached the, I want to sell point, you might have you might have noticed me being a little tired, but I was rip roaring. Right, six months later, I was done. I was so ready to be out, and like I said earlier, it took uh, three or four years after that before I was able to make my exit. Tough yeah. period. Tough yeah, period. no, yeah. So some businesses will will suck the life out of you, and if you if you're not careful, you know, it, it will it will be an energy draining experience versus an energy building experience. So part of that you know, making sure that you build the team and the systems for me is to build a business or a car wash that doesn't suck the life out of me because I'm worried about every little thing. I've got a team that's well-trained. I've got a team that's got systems and processes that they know what to do. And I've got a relatively high assurance they're going to do it. Absolutely. And, you know, we, we haven't, we didn't talk about that, but the, the beautiful secret to this topic is that there's no better business to own than a business that's easy to sell. Yeah. That's a great business to own for the next 40 years. I agree, I agree, good, good. So if I'm gonna to come to you at Excess Oasis, what are you gonna be able to offer me? I'm, I wanna sell my business, I'm coming to you, what are we doing? Yeah, great. Um, Exit Oasis, our primary offering is free education. We have a, a free newsletter, uh, that we a free email newsletter that we offer. Most of our content is contributed. Most of our, con all of our content is curated so that it focuses exclusively on that small business audience. Um, I do some light coaching myself, okay. uh, but it's not the primary focus of what we do there. The focus of what we do there is to provide a free education for small business owners who are serious about selling their business someday. Fantastic. Fantastic. That's good. So if somebody wanted to reach out to you and maybe have a conversation or pick your brain a little bit, what would be the best way for them to get a hold of you? Yeah, they can see me at exitoasis.com. Go to the about page. You're going to find contact information for me there. Um, or like I said, it, it's about uh, it, it's about those constant reminders, right? That's why I push that that free newsletter. 
I, I, I tell people that I interact with in this space that it's about intention, not about information, right? It's that constant reminder that you get once a week, twice a week that says, David, you're going to sell this business someday. Now you have to fix the furnace. How are you going to fix it? And how is your plan to exit sometime in the future going to impact the decision you make? Hey, I'm here for the long haul. I'm here for 40 years. Great. You know, spend the $40,000 on fixing the furnace. But if your plan is to be out in two or three years, maybe it makes more sense to, to get a little patching tape. So it's about, it's about those constant reminders. But yeah, they can find me at exitoasis.com. And uh, I'm a strong pusher for that free newsletter. Terrific. I appreciate that. I did sign up and I got my free newsletter this morning. So I appreciate that. All right, David. I'm glad to hear it. Mike, thanks so much. This has been a great conversation. I'm sure we've helped some of our listeners and I look forward to maybe visiting in the future. My pleasure. I enjoyed it. Okay. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the How of Car Washing. For more information, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofcarwashing.com and leave us a comment if you have a topic you would like discussed. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to having you next time on The How of Car Washing.